Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. This week, Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, talks about market volatility, the importance of portfolio strategy, and how rising interest rates affect investments. Let's get started with your 2022 Mid-Year Portfolio Checkup, Part 1. Hi, I'm Christine Benz. I'm Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning for Morningstar. The first half of 2022 was incredibly volatile in the markets. I'm going to talk to you about how to check up on your portfolio at mid-year. I'll start by reviewing the market's action for the year to date, and then I'll talk about how that might translate into how to think about your portfolio's asset allocation and its intra-asset allocation. And there's a good news story in there. Then I'll talk about how to check up on your portfolio's interest rate sensitivity. A lot of the volatility that we've seen in the market for the year to date has been driven by rising interest rates. I'll talk about how to check up on your portfolio's sensitivity to further interest rate changes. Then I'll talk about what is a relatively new topic in our discourse, which is the topic of recession or a weakening economy. I'll discuss why some economists think that the economy could, in fact, soften in the second half of this year. And I'll discuss how to ensure that your portfolio is protected against a weakening economic environment. Going to next talk about inflation, how to inflation protect your portfolio, as well as your total financial plan, how to look at how insulated you are against the ravages of higher costs. I'll also talk about a silver lining story, I think, in the current market environment, which is the opportunity to potentially enact some tax changes to reduce your tax bills going forward. So I'll share some strategies to think about specifically related to your taxable account, as well as related to your IRA accounts. So let's start by reviewing what has just happened in the market so far this year. This looks back through 2021, and what you can see over this period, this is kind of a periodic table of elements that looks at asset class returns over the past 15 years. What you can see is a lot of blue at the top. Blue represents large cap U.S. stocks as well as small cap U.S. stocks. They had an incredibly strong run really coming out of the bear market in the late 2000s, and they led the way for the broader markets over the subsequent uh, five to seven years. What you can see at the bottom is a lot of gold. That's commodities. Commodities brought up the rear for several years running. And then somewhere in between are fixed income assets. Fixed income actually bonds performed exceptionally well over this 15-year period because of declining interest rates. In 2022, though, it's been a little bit of a different story. We've had an upending of a lot of those norms that we had gotten used to. So we had gotten used to a steady state of strong equity market returns, fairly strong bond returns. We had gotten used to not needing commodities in our portfolios. What we've seen so far this year is really a reversal of many of those trends. So we've seen stocks fall quite sharply, so down about 18% for U.S. stocks through mid-June. 
International stocks, while many market forecasters thought they were inexpensive coming into this year, have continued to kind of behave similarly to U.S. stocks. So the MSCI EFA index, which is a developed markets index, has fallen right in line with U.S. stocks. Emerging markets have also performed generally in line with U.S. stocks. What's been really different about this particular bear market period is that bonds haven't cushioned the blow. And that's been a reverse of what we had seen in previous bear markets, whether that baby bear market that we had in March of 2020 or the big bear market that we had at the end of the 2000s from 2000 through 2009. What we've seen during this period is that bonds have not cushioned the blow. They've, they've lost less than stocks, but they have certainly lost more than many of us bond inv investors expected them to. And rising interest rates have been the main catalyst for the stock sell-off as well as the bond sell-off. Uh, rising interest rates hurt bond prices because investors say, well, if higher interest rates are coming online, forget these old bonds with the higher yields attached to them or with lower yields attached to them. I want the new higher yields. And stocks have sold off because oftentimes rising interest rates dampen investors' enthusiasm for the economy and in turn equities. Growth stocks during this period have been especially hard hit. So this market sell-off has not been equal opportunity. We've seen the growth column of our equity style box be the epicenter of the losses, very steep losses among technology stocks in particular. On the left-hand side of the style box, those are value stocks, and they've performed much, much better during this period. So value stocks are often energy companies, they're often financial services companies, not only were these uh, companies relatively undervalued coming into 2022, but the energy sector in particular has been a big beneficiary of the inflationary environment that we've seen so far this year. And then in the middle, we've seen with the core or blend stocks, we've seen performance that falls somewhere between those two poles. So they the stocks are down, but they're not down quite as much as growth stocks. In that core or blend section of the style box, that's where we have consumer staples. Many healthcare stocks reside in that core column of the style box. So Losses all around, but certainly much steeper losses in the growth column. Value stocks and value-oriented funds have held up much, much better. In terms of where we've seen pockets of strength, there haven't been many, but I alluded to the fact that we've seen very strong price gains among the energy stocks. So energy stocks tend to be a beneficiary of higher energy prices, higher commodity prices, uh, energy limited partnership oriented companies and funds that invest in them have done very well during this period as well. Commodities tracking investments have also done well during this period. And that's largely because energy, energy purveyors are very dominant in commodities tracking indexes. We've also seen some non-correlated asset types come to life in 2022. So what are called systematic trend funds or managed futures funds have managed terrific gains so far this year. Equity market neutral, neutral funds have also managed to stay in the black. Money market mutual funds haven't gained ground, but that actually puts them on the leaderboard in 2022. They have stayed just about flat for the year to date, but 
but it makes them one of the few pockets of strength in this year's very tough market. In terms of where we've seen weakness, all over the place. At the top of the heap, though, would be digital assets, so funds that invest in cryptocurrency, or certainly if you invest in cryptocurrency directly, you've seen losses in that portion of your portfolio. The technology sector has really led the way down during this market sell-off. And then all manner of growth funds have struggled during this period, mid-cap growth and small-cap growth especially, not just in the U.S., but also overseas. And we've also seen weakness in the consumer cyclical space. So retailers and restaurants have also been struggling during this period. The thinking being that if inflation stays high, consumers will pull back on their spending in some of these areas. This is the fixed income style box. We looked at the equity style box and saw that the losses were very widely dispersed. The same is true for the fixed income style box. Losses aren't as steep as what we've seen in the equity sector or in the equity area, but certainly there are losses across investors' fixed income portfolios. Just want to describe what we're looking at because this style box is probably a bit less familiar to you than the equity style box. So in the horizontal axis, we've got interest rate sensitivity, so limited on the left-hand column, moderate in the middle, and extensive on the right-hand column. And you can see when you look at this style box that the losses have been quite concentrated in the investments with a lot of interest rate sensitivity. On the vertical axis, we've got credit quality. And you can see that lower quality credits have performed a little bit worse than the higher quality credits, but generally speaking, it's been interest rate sensitivity that has been the main differentiator in performance. So investments that take on a lot of interest rate sensitivity, the reason they're vulnerable in an environment like this one is what I mentioned earlier. If interest rates are going up, investors say, well, I don't want to own this long-term bond that weds me to this very low yield for a long period of time. I want the opportunity to swap into these newer, higher-yielding bonds, which is why long-term bonds are so very interest rate sensitive. It's why most investors don't own long-term bonds, because they tend to be very volatile and somewhat equity-like in their behavior. When you're thinking about kind of the core type funds that populate investors' portfolios, they're in that middle square of that of the style box typically. So they're taking on some interest rate sensitivity, but they're typically in the intermediate range. They're taking on some credit risk, but they're typically in the medium credit quality range. So we've seen losses in the high single digits for investments like that, for core type funds, such as the ones that would track the Bloomberg Barclays aggregate index. So let's talk about how this translates into how to think about your portfolio and its positioning. The starting point for conducting your own portfolio review is to get your arms around your portfolio's current asset allocation. And the best tool for that job, in my opinion, is to use our X-ray tool, which you can use if you have your portfolio loaded on Morningstar.com, or you can simply use our instant X-ray tool to plug in your portfolio holdings and get a sense of how your asset allocation looks today. Our new portfolio tool in the investor 
part of Morningstar.com, which is our former premium part of Morningstar.com, plugs in a benchmark for you based on your portfolio's current positioning. You can override that and select your own benchmark for your portfolio's positioning. The key point here is to have a benchmark for your portfolio's positioning. So you can use one of our preloaded benchmarks, or you can use what your advisor recommends your asset allocation should be. You can use a target date fund for a quick and dirty lens into what your portfolio's asset allocation might look like. Or you, you can refer to some of the model portfolios that I've created for Morningstar.com and back into an appropriate asset allocation given your situation. So the key thing is you want to look at your portfolio's asset allocation today and then compare it to some reasonable benchmark given your life stage, given your proximity to spending your money, given your risk tolerance. You'd want to factor in all of these things, which is why it makes it difficult to issue one size fits all recommendations about asset allocation. It really is very situation and individual dependent. One good news story as you think about your portfolio's asset class positioning is that thanks to this market weakness that we've had in the first half, stocks and bonds have actually gotten cheaper. So I'll just describe what we're looking at on this slide. This is a slide that my colleagues in Morningstar Investment Management put together. It's meant to portray asset class return forecasts for the next decade. This is through the end of March of 2022, so it incorporates some weakness that we had seen in the first quarter of this year, but not the second quarter weakness. And what you can see is that the equity return prospects have actually gotten better thanks to the market's volatility. So the bright green bars that you see on this slide depict the change in their forecast from the end of 2021 when stocks were pretty richly valued to where they were at the end of the first quarter of 2022. My guess is because stocks continued to decline in the second quarter of 2022 that we'll probably see even higher return expectations for stocks over the subsequent 10 years, which is what the, the team is forecasting on this slide. I always say survey an arrange of the a, a array of these asset class forecasts because it's helpful to get a gauge of what a number of different firms are saying. So I typically will come out with a compendium of different asset class return forecasts at the beginning of each year. I'll be revisiting those again at mid-year 2022 because we've seen so much volatility. We've also seen bond prices fall, which we talked about earlier, and that too has translated into a an elevated forecast for bond market returns over the next decade. So I would say that this is a good news story as you think about repositioning your portfolio, think about determining whether any changes are in order. The good news is that both stocks and bonds are relatively more attractive than they were at the end of 2021. When we look at this on a bottom-up basis, when we look at what our analysts' price to fair values might be telling us about whether the market is cheap or expensive, this is another good news story and kind of corroborates what we saw on the previous slide. So as of late June, which is as I'm recording this, we're seeing uh, stocks trading in aggregate, so on their price to fair value basis, at a roughly 15-16% discount to fair value. You can see 
that that was also a switcheroo from the end of 2021, where stocks looked expensive to our analyst team on a bottom-up basis. Now we think they look relatively more attractive. Just wanted to uh, make a, a couple of quick comments on how our analysts arrive at these price-to-fair values. When they cover individual stocks, we task them with coming up with a fair value for that company based on its discounted cash flows. And so we ask our analysts to determine whether stocks are looking cheap or expensive relative to those fair values. The price to fair value that you see depicted here is the aggregated price to fair values for all of the companies in our global coverage universe. One interesting thing is that when we look at these price to fair values on a style box basis, when we try to figure out, well, does one part or the other of the style box look cheap or expensive to us today? What you can see is that this market sell off because it has punished growth stocks most of all has led to a market that looks somewhat fairly valued across the value core and growth spectrum. So I think that's an interesting takeaway. Investors may have been reticent to add to growth stocks, and they may still be, uh, especially because we've seen so much volatility there. But our analysts are actually finding some opportunities among those beaten down growth stocks. They're still finding opportunities in the value column as well, somewhat less so in that core column of the style box. One interesting dimension as we think about the market and these price to fair values is that when we look at the end of 2021 and the price to fair values for that global coverage universe at the end of 2021, you can see that at that point, our analysts thought that growth stocks were still looking a bit expensive and core stocks were also looking a bit expensive. Now at uh, mid-year 2022, our analysts are actually finding bargains in that core area and especially in that growth area, which has been especially hard hit. So that's something to think about as you're looking at your portfolio's intra-asset class positioning. You, If you have dedicated growth holdings, you may have found that they have declined quite a bit. They may decline further still, but our analysts are finding some opportunities. They're finding some values in that space. Now I want to talk about how rising interest rates affect your portfolio and how to think about them going forward. We showed this slide before. Bond yields have risen very quickly in a very short period of time over the past year, and that has driven a lot of the weakness that we've seen, certainly in the bond market, but also in the stock market. Your portfolio, if you have fixed income assets, has no doubt already felt some of the pain, especially in, in the fixed income area. Long-term bonds, we've talked about why they tend to be especially hard hit. In an environment like the current one, they have been hit the hardest. They're down about 20% for the year to date through mid to late June. Long-term government bond funds have been particularly hard hit. And then intermediate core bonds and what we call core plus bond funds are down in a little bit less, but still down double digits for the year to date through mid to late June. So you've certainly seen weakness in your portfolio, no matter what you have in terms of your fixed income exposure. Short-term bonds have performed better. We saw on that style box slide where we looked at bond market performance, their losses are in the realm of three or 4% 
for the year to date. So the Fed has done a good job along the way of telegraphing its move, uh, its impending moves of telling us about what it anticipates to do with interest rate changes, what it's seeing in the economy. And so I would say that much of what the Fed has said has already been priced in. The issue is that the Fed doesn't know necessarily what's ahead for inflation. It doesn't know whether the interest rate changes that it has made so far and that it plans to make in the balance of this year, whether they will be sufficient to tamp down inflation. So that's the risk as investors think about their fixed income portfolios today, that even though very likely the Fed's near-term movements are priced into bond prices, if there's un- an unexpected spike in inflation, an unexpected spike in interest rates, we could see further weakness in our bond portfolios. So I've long enthused about this idea of running your fixed income holdings through what's called a duration stress test, or what I think about as a duration stress test. And to do this, you just need to find two data points for each of your fixed income holdings. And this will be especially useful for your high quality fixed income holdings. So you're finding your fund's duration, which you'll be able to find on Morningstar.com on the on the portfolio tab for a fixed income fund, or you can find it on your investment providers' websites. You're finding duration, and you're also finding a number called SEC yield, which is Securities and Exchange Commission yield. And that's a recent snapshot of your fund's yield. So you're finding those two numbers, you're subtracting the yield from the duration, and the amount that's left over is roughly the amount that you would expect to see that portfolio, that fund, lose in a one-year period in which interest rates rose by one percentage point. So if we saw another one percentage point increase in interest rates, you would likely see price declines at this general level. So it's just a good ballpark estimate of what to expect if we see further interest rate increases. To use a simple example, a long-term government bond fund today has a very long duration of about 18 years and a yield of three, three and a half percent today. So what you can see if you subtract that 3% yield, and the concept is that you get to keep your yield regardless of what happens with bond prices, If you subtract that three, three and a half percent yield from that 18 year duration, that's a roughly 15 percent loss in that one year period where we saw would see a rate increase by one percentage point. If you look at intermediate term funds, which is what most of us own as our core fixed income exposure, you see durations of about six years today. You see uh, SEC yields in the neighborhood of three, even three percent or even higher today. So you can see with those core type funds, they're actually going to be much less responsive in a negative way to interest rate hikes, to further interest rate hikes. I like the idea of thinking about your fixed income portfolio, deciding how much to allocate to short-term bonds, intermediate-term bonds, even cash, by thinking about your time horizon, your anticipated spending horizon for your money. So for your very near-term outlays, if you're retired and you have expenditures for the next couple of years that you'll be withdrawing from your portfolio, my bias would be just to keep that money in cash, not take any interest rate-related risk. You may see its value get eaten up a little bit by inflation, but I think that generally speaking, you'd rather be safe than sorry with that portion of, of the portfolio.
And then if you have funds that you expect to spend in the next two to five years, say, there you might hold short-term bonds, which will have much less interest rate sensitive sensitivity. They're not guaranteed in the same way that your cash holdings are. They will have a little bit of interest rate-related volatility, but they'll be much more stable than intermediate-term bonds. And finally, I'd think about holding intermediate-term bonds for a time horizon of, say, five to 10 years. So if I anticipate spending in five years or beyond that, there I think I can hold intermediate-term bonds with some confidence that over my particular time horizon, until I need my money, that my bonds will likely be in positive territory over that five-year period. Whether they will be in positive territory on a real or inflation-adjusted basis, this is another matter, but uh, just from the standpoint of keeping principle volatile, principle stable, I think that that's a good way to think about segmenting your bond portfolio. Whether you hold long-term bonds in your portfolio as a matter of personal preference, I think that for many investors, they're simply too volatile and too equity-like in terms of their behavior. We will bring you part two of your 2022 mid-year portfolio checkup next week. This is Investing Insights from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcasts at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.